And uh, so let's go ahead and prepare our hearts to worship our God. And what I thought I would do is I would read a small portion of the prayer of Jesus um, in, recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Uh, do you know that Jesus is praying for you right now? You know that? Do you know that Jesus is praying for you right now? Is that important? We all need. The only reason our prayers are acceptable, acceptable to God is because he prays. But here is one of his prayers. And actually, I'm not going to go that far down, but in the prayer, he actually mentions you and I. John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. I manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all, that all things which you have given me are from me. I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine is yours, and yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. Let's take a moment in preparation to worship our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as he, has call, he will call us from heaven to do so in a moment. Let's take a moment of silent meditation in preparation. Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. And the call this morning comes from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful for elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let us respond to God's call from heaven to come and worship him by doing so. And if you need it, the uh, opening hymn is hymn 70 in the hymnal. And then we'll be singing hymn number 213. Uh, glory be to the to God the Father. So the first one is the doxology 570. You probably already know it, but uh, if you need it, it's 570 and then 213. <laughs> 
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Hallelujah. Thirteen. We thank you for the privilege of calling us out of darkness, calling us into the light of your presence, calling us through Jesus Christ and the gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for enabling us to have boldness to enter into the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ in our lives, and we pray that you would teach us and Open our hearts that we may be receptive. Give us a teachable spirit, we pray this day, and help us to respond in thankfulness to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
This morning we have the opportunity to confess our sin and to prepare our hearts in preparation for the Lord's Supper this morning. And we'll do that with a responsive reading from the Law of God found in your Psalter hymnal on Roman numeral 16 in the back of your hymnal. Me the front of your hymnal. The other back. The other back. <coughs> the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. Together saying, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you, in your great mercy, redeemed your people, Israel, out of the bondage in Egypt. And you, as you said, you brought them on eagles' wings and you brought them to yourself. And you established that covenant relationship as a nation. 
and you gave them and us these laws, these commandments, which were designed primarily as a way of saying thank you for the redemption that you accomplished. But they also show us our need for the Savior, Jesus Christ, and our need for the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in applying Christ, the work of Christ, to our lives. And so, Father, we do come to you and acknowledge that we have offended you. We have set other things before us instead of you. As Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories, constantly churning out new kinds of idols, new gods, things that we can manipulate to get our way. And so, Father, we have sinned against you in setting ourselves first. We who claim to be, that Jesus is our Lord, yet in many ways we have violated that claim by lording it over others or by acting like Lord, my will be done. And so, Lord, we do pray that you please forgive us for sinning against you, offending you. It's not only a violation of your law, but a slap in your face. And so, Father, we do come to you, acknowledge that we've offended you. And we ask, O Lord, that you would apply the work of Christ to us new and afresh. We confess not only that we've sinned against you, but we've sinned against one another. We've sinned against our neighbor. We have not loved our neighbor as Christ has called us to. We've not been the instruments of love because of our selfishness. And so we pray that you please forgive us as well for our sins against our fellow men. We thank you that you have, you have said in your word, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we can boldly approach you because of what Jesus did, shedding his blood once for all for the remission of our sins. And so we do confess these things. We hate and forsake them because they are displeasing to you. And we desire, O oh Lord, that you would do that work in us, that we would love you and live for you more and more today and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, very good. Um, We have opportunity to use our voices in thanksgiving concerning the gift of the cross. So if you'll turn with me to hymn number 338, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on Which the Prince of Glory Died. Let's stand and sing 338.
Hold on to that hymnal. And if you'll turn with me to the back of the hymnal, to page, hun- page 851. Is it important to confess your sins? Is it important to confess your faith? Okay. So we've done the first, we're now doing the second. What does Jesus say? He says, those who confess me before men, I will confess before the fathers. Those who deny me before men, I will deny before the fathers. So we have opportunity to confess our faith as summarized in the Apostles' Creed. And then we will also be reading responsively the small insert in the bulletin, the half sheet. Uh, We're working our way through the canons of Dort. And so, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're not talking about the Roman Church, we're talking about the universal body of Christ. Um, so if you will now take that half sheet that's there, uh, like I said, we're, this year we're working through the Canons of Dort, and we are come to Lord's Day number of 28. Uh, we are looking at Articles 10 and 11. The, the, the focus, the, uh, uh, the category is uh, the third and fourth heads of doctrine, the corruption of man, his conversion to God, and the manner thereof. I'll read the light type, if you'll please read the dark type. But that others who are called by the gospel obey the call and are converted is not to be ascribed to the proper exercise of free will, whereby one distinguishes himself above others equally, furnished with grace sufficient for faith and conversion, as the proud heresy of Pelagius maintains. But it must be wholly ascribed to to God, who, as he has chosen his own from eternity in Christ, so he calls them effectually in time, confers upon them faith and repentance, rescues them from the power of darkness, and translates them into the kingdom of his own Son, that they may show forth the praises of him who has called them out of the darkness into his marvelous light, and may glorify in themselves, but in the Lord, according to the testimony of the apostles in various places. 
But when God accomplishes his good pleasure in the elect or works in them true conversion, he not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them and powerfully illuminates their minds by the Holy Spirit, that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God, but by the efficacy of the same regenerating Spirit, he pervades the inmost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the hardened heart and circumcises that which is uncircumcised, infuses new qualities into the will, which, though the dead, he quickens from being evil, disobedient, and refractory. He renders it good, obedient, and pliable, actuates and strengthens it, that like a good tree, it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. Wow, is there a lot there, a lot to take in. So, uh, before it, uh, the last, uh, last week, we, it answers the question, the can is, well, how come some don't come? How come some don't believe the gospel? And now we come to the question, well, if that's true, how come some actually do believe? Uh, what is the cause uh, for that? And so notice it starts off negatively, not by anything that they have done. When we, go to, when we get to heaven, will there be any boasting in heaven? Will there be anyone saying, well, it's because of me that I'm saved and I'm here in heaven? Are we going to say that? I don't think so. No. The only boasting in heaven will be boasting in Jesus. We'll be glorifying him. Notice positively, though, it is holy because of God. Is that in the Bible? That salvation is of the Lord. Who learned that in the belly of the fish? Jonah, right? At the end of his prayer, those that regard vain idols forsake their own mercy, but salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited out Jonah on dry land. Do we need to go through Jonah's experience to understand that salvation's of the Lord? Notice in this uh, statement, chosen from eternity. He chose us, but notice that, in Christ. He's the one that also in time calls us. He confers. He rescues. He translates. Who's doing the work? You or him? He is. Who gets the glory? He does, right? What about our response? So how should we respond? Well, notice there, right there, that they may show forth the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light, and may glory not in themselves but in the Lord according to the testimony of the apostles in various places. So our response is what? Thank you. Right? When you say thank you to someone, it isn't because of what you've done. It's because of what they've done. Right? 
Our catechism says, how, what is the chief part of thankfulness? It's prayer. But why do we say thank you? Because he's redeemed me from all my sin and misery. And so my life is a life of thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's the constant, should be the constant uh, cry from our hearts. But then it, he goes on to describe more. How does God do this in article number 11? How does God save someone? Notice the first step. The gospel is preached. The gospel call comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how can they hear unless someone preaches the gospel? Paul says in Romans chapter 10. But also, more importantly in many ways, is the Holy Spirit brings light or illumines the mind and regenerates or does spiritual heart surgery. He takes the heart of stone that is in every man, woman, and child and does heart surgery, takes that stony heart out and puts in a heart of flesh. A new heart. He makes them a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. It's an extraordinary work of God. In other words, you could say that God still is raising people from the dead. Because we are all dead in trespasses and sins, Paul says, right? We're all born dead. And God, by his grace and through the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, raises dead people, including you and I, I hope. Do you believe in Jesus? Is he working in your life? Do you see the evidences? So this call, this call comes to God's covenant people. Uh, we've been looking at the gospel of John. It came to Nicodemus, didn't he? Unless you're born again. Not see the kingdom of heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Paul said to the Philippian jailer. Do you believe? Are you trusting in Christ alone? Is he the chair that you're sitting in? You understand that some of you know what I'm talking about. True saving faith is not only knowing the gospel, like I know that chair. It's not only believing that that really is true, but saving faith is actually resting in what you know to be true. Are you resting in Christ alone for salvation? My prayer and my cry is believe and be saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let us prepare our hearts for... I guess that was the sermonette uh, for the sermon. And so if you will please turn with me to uh, our hymnal once more. And um, hymn number 379, uh, Come Children, Join to Sing. 379. Alleluia. Amen. You know, Alleluia is both a praise and also a call for others to praise. So we're calling each other to praise. As well.
All right, for our scripture reading this morning, our Old Testament scripture reading is found in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. You'll turn in your Bibles to that. And then our New Testament scripture reading, which will include our text this morning, is in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 3. So let us begin reading in Jeremiah chapter 9, just two verses there. Hear now the word of God. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Now in the New New Testament, turning to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also may have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Judah, I'm sorry, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, 
Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it even this to you. Nevertheless, to the decree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of God endures forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I was going to ask for it, but you could tell. All right, let's go ahead and ask the Lord's prayer, uh, Lord's grace, um, to the preaching and to the hearing. Father in heaven, we do come to you and we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of the work of the Spirit of God in the life of the Apostle Paul and in the life of Jeremiah as he conducted his ministry over 50 years with only one convert, and that was his secretary. We thank you, Lord, for this word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And as we hear the cry of the apostle, that first and foremost, that I may know you, Lord, that I may know the triune God. We pray that that cry would come from our hearts and would be placed on our lips. For without you, we can do nothing, we are nothing. In you, we have all things. And so we pray for your work in our hearts, that we would, with the apostle, cry, that I may know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a passage, uh, there's a statement in the Bible recorded many, many years ago. I wrote down in my notes, many years ago in a place far, far away from here, there was a man who sinned. And he hid himself. And I kind of giving away where it's at. He hid himself among the trees of the garden. And God said to him, as God came into the garden, where are you? Did God not know where Adam was? Doesn't he know everything? Did he know that, God, that Adam was hiding in the garden? Do you know exactly where he was? Did he know exactly what he had done? The answer is yes. He confronted Adam and Eve concerning their sin. What happened that day? Well, God warned him and said, The day you eat thereof, you shall, in dying, you will die. Surely die. Very good. Did he die that day physically? Did he live to be 970 years old? But did he die that day? Yes. He was separated from life. God is life. And that separation is passed on to all of us. We are all born separated from God. So my question for you today is where are you in relationship with God? All mankind, like I said are in the garden, hiding behind the trees of the garden, providing their own clothing to cover their nakedness, their own righteousness, their own works. 
Are you still there? Or are you trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? And, can, and do you know God? That's the question of the hour. The title of the sermon is, That I May Know Him. My main point, as in the, the outline is in the bulletin, the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God who is our life. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be restored to life. That is, to the true knowledge or intimate personal relationship with God. It's only through Jesus that we can be restored. And what's amazing, the Bible says, our restoration is greater. Our situation is greater than Adam before the fall. Which is an amazing thought. So, my first point. Paul's overwhelming desire to know Christ. Notice in our text in verses 4 through 9, he says that he talks about having confidence in the flesh. And he says, if anyone could have confidence in the flesh based on works, it would be me. And he goes through that catalog. But he says, I count them, whatever I've done, as rubbish, as trash to be burned. Does he reflect the Lord Jesus? Did Jesus make himself of no reputation? Did he empty himself? Became a servant? Humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of a cross? Paul rejects that which hinders him. And does it hinder mankind? Are there people that think that, well, I'm, I'm a good person. When I, go to, when I die, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be able to say, look at all the good things that I've done. What is God, what is God going to say? If that's the basis of their standing. Depart from me. I never knew you. Even those who said, Lord, Lord, depart from me. I never knew you. To me, that is the most frightening words in the Bible. I don't know about you. There's some frightening words in the Bible, but that is something I do not want to hear on that great judgment day, is Jesus saying, depart from me, I never knew you. So Paul is saying that I may know him. Notice also, as we read our text, looking at the text, he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Notice that. That I may know him, that I may embrace him and the power of his resurrection. Now, earlier in chapter 2, he talked about Christ's humiliation, but also his exaltation. In chapter 2, he says, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in, uh, 
in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, the unbeliever, at the end of time, declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will he or she bow the knee? But will it be because they have that intimate personal relationship with him, or will it be because they're acknowledging reality and being cast into hell? That's the question. Notice he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In other words, that I may know grace, right? The grace of God. That I may experience the resurrection now. That's being born again. Secondly, notice in verse 10. And this is a tough statement. I don't know if you hear it. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship, koinea, uh, having that in common. Is that something that you would embrace? Like, to, Yeah, yeah, I want to I experience in the sufferings of Christ what he went through. It, 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 are you kidding me? Getting beaten 49 times, being mocked, being spit upon, being hidden, have a crown of thorns hit, the cro- carrying the cross. Paul is saying, I want to know him and the fellowship. Have fellowship with his sufferings. Paul, are you insane? What do you mean? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about the work of this Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want that family resemblance we've been talking about in the book of James? Do you want that? Do you want people, when they see you, they say, I see Jesus in you. Is that important to you? As John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Is that your desire? It's not all about me. It's all about Jesus. And so he says, I want to have the fellowship in his sufferings, those that are applied to me, and also his obedient service. I want the work of the Holy Spirit to work in me so that I hear in heaven one day, well done, good and faithful enter into the joy of the Lord. Isn't that the most wonderful statement in the Bible? Well done. He's not talking about steak. Also in verse uh, 10, being conformed to his death, speaking about the cross, Paul will experience that in his martyrdom. But in another place, Paul writes that we, in Christ, are dead to sin. And so stop living like you're not. If you're in Christ, you're dead to sin and alive to righteousness. So what should your life reflect? That I'm a slave of righteousness, that I'm a servant of God, that I live for Jesus. He goes on to say that I may attain the resurrection, by, by, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There he speaks of glory. I, I've mentioned this before. Many of the older hymns that we sing 
all end, or usually always end, with looking forward to the coming of Christ or eternity or so? Are you looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ? Or is it, oh, I'm not finished yet with this life. Don't come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do we pray that prayer? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray that prayer, especially as I look at what's going on in the world around me, and I go, oh, what a mess. It just seems like it's just going... Did they experience that in the time when Paul was writing this? In prison in Rome? Yeah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Here Paul describes the glory of what he is looking forward to. So if you stop and you think about what he's saying, it's amazing to think about what God has done for you and me. Is that your desire? I want to know him more. I want to embrace what he's called me to be. I look forward to his return and to glory. Is that the orientation of your life? Now, you still work and have family and have kids and everything else, but still, is that the center of your being? To know him. So let's talk a little bit about that point. And that's the second point in the sermon. What does it mean to know Christ? So we read before the service started Jesus' prayer, and in his prayer he prayed that he should give eternal life to as many as the Father had given him. What does that mean? How was that accomplished? It was accomplished because of the greater love as no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. But were you his friend? When you were born, were you a friend of Jesus or an enemy? We're all enemies. But yet he called us friends, even when we were his enemies, because he was going to die, or he died for his enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? God's glory is revealed in the cross. Amen? God's glory is revealed in the gift of eternal life. Amen? I'm glad that you guys were responding back. I like that. I'm not a typical Reformed pastor for those of you that are familiar. So what is the stuff that Jesus is talking about? What is this eternal life that Jesus has the authority to bestow? Again, in John chapter uh, 17, verse 3, we read it. He says, this is eternal life. He, he gives us a definition. He, get, he tells us what he means by what he gives. He says, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, what he said is, eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ. You understand that? That is profoundly beneficial. Eternal life. Does that mean if I know Jesus, that means I have eternal life now? Is that important? If you don't have eternal life now, what are you facing? Eternal death. So that word there, to know, is, usually means to have a relationship with that which is known. Vine says it this way, What is known is of value or importance to the one who knows. 
and therefore the establishment of a relationship. It is more than mere intellectual activity. In other words, to know God means to have a relationship with him. A personal, intimate relationship. That's what the word means in the Greek. One, one way to illustrate that, knowing God is more complex than knowing a fellow man. Just like knowing my neighbor is more complex than knowing an animal. You may have a pet. You may know that pet. But knowing a person is harder. It's harder to know a person because they're more complex than an animal. Knowledge of an abstract is even harder or than the knowledge of an animal. Knowledge of an animal is harder, or uh, I should say it this way, the other way around. Knowledge of the animal is more complex. Knowledge of a human is more complex. Knowledge of somebody that is superior than you is more complex. So what are we talking about? Knowing God. Is that the most complex relationship knowledge that you can embrace? You're ever going to get there in this life? Are you ever going to know God fully in eternity? Are we going to be constantly growing in our knowledge and relationship with God? I believe so. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Knowing God is amazing. It's part of eternal life, as we said. One writer says, the quality and extent of our knowledge of a fellow man depends more on him or her opening up to us. Our knowing them is more directly the result of their allowing us to know them than our attempt to get to know them. You hear what I'm saying? For me to get to know you, you have to let me know you. You have to share things about yourself in order for me to actually know you. Um... I don't know, personally don't know, President Obama. Why did I call him president? Is it ex-President Obama or is he still called president? Unfortunately, he's still president. Uh, uh, Okay, Biden. I don't know him. I know of him. I know what I think about him. But I don't know him personally. Do you? Anybody here personally know our president? No. You know about him. But imagine, not Biden, imagine the king of England or the king of the country, you're someone um, that is of high rank. They invite you to the White House or to the palace. And they bring you into their presence and they say, I want you to be my friend and my close advisor. And we will talk about the things that I am dealing with, and I'll look to you for advice. How would you feel about that? Would you be honored? Well, yeah, it, it, yeah, wouldn't it, right? Well, what's amazing is that we have the creator of the universe as our father, who says to us, come to me and ask Part of what we're doing here, I don't know if you realize this, but do you know that you're in heaven right now? Pastor's really lost it this time. Well, where's Jesus? Jesus is in heaven? 
He says, two or more gathered in my name, and it has to do with the corporate gathering of the saints. I am there. So is it that Jesus comes down or we go up in the Spirit? Paul says we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Right now, we're in the presence of God in heaven with the angels and the just men made perfect around his throne, Hebrews chapter 12. And what do we do when we're praying? We're going to the Father and we're saying, Father, this is what we think for your glory and the good of your kingdom, this should be done. We are bringing counsel. We have access. We have the privilege of praying and in doing so, we are speaking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what would be best for your kingdom. Please, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a great privilege. Let him that glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. J.I. Packard says it this day, this way. What happens is that the Almighty Creator, the Lord of hosts, the great God before whom all the nations are as a drop in the bucket, comes to us and begins to talk to us through the words and truths of the Holy Scripture. One day, this believer wakes up to the fact that God is actually speaking to him, him, through the Bible message. He comes to realize as he listens that God is actually opening his heart to him, making friends with him, and enlisting him as a colleague, a covenant partner. It is a staggering thing, but it is true. The relationship in which sinful human beings know God is one in which God takes them on to his staff to be henceforth his fellow workers, and personal friends. The action of God in taking Joseph from prison to become Pharaoh's prince, prime minister is a picture of what he does to every Christian. From being Satan's prisoner, he finds himself transferred to a position of trust in the service of God. At once, life is transformed. Whether being a servant in is matter for shame or for pride depends on whose servant one is, for pride depends on who is being served. Therefore, knowing, a God, uh, knowing God is an, uh, in an intimate personal relationship is established by him, and it is our greatest glory. You may glory in your abilities, you may glory in your looks, you may glory in your relationships, but the Bible says the greatest thing we glory in is that God knows me. Now notice I said that. I didn't say I know God. But the greatest glory is that God knows me. Knowing God without God knowing us is mere intellectual activity. Just like knowing the president. And like I said before, the most fearful words in the Bible, Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. So do you think that that kind of gives us an understanding of what Paul was saying when he said, that I may know him. Everything I've done, everything I am is rubbish. I set it aside. My car, my job, my bank account, my house, my family, my... Whatever, I said, everything aside, that I may know him. 
that he may know me and that I may know them. Jesus said it this way, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Is that what he said? Or that I know them. He says, I know them. And they follow me. And I give to them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Isn't that a great statement? Jesus says that that we are in his hand. And he says, the Father is, can anybody tear us out from that grip? So who is he? He is the Lord. He's the master. He is the head. And we are the body. Again, we said earlier, what is the confession of faith? Jesus is Lord. Knowing God, therefore, is a restoration of the Lord-servant covenantal relationship that was uh, begun with Adam and Eve. In other words, is he your Lord? Are you his servant? Is that your glory? Paul says, that I may have that relationship. I have, I'm, I'm running, I went past time, I have so much here, I'm just going to set it aside. If you want to come, I have a lot of analogies and such, but I'll set it aside. I think you got the point. So the third, the third aspect, though, is, okay, he's the Lord, he's my father, he's the shepherd, he's the king, I'm a servant, I'm the son or daughter, I'm uh, the sheep. You know, the Bible uses all of those. So what should I do if that is my relationship with the holy God? Well, I should pursue what pleases him. Fellowship with him. Do what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? Lord, I want you to be glorified on earth, and you, I need it to begin with me. Do that work in me to do what is pleasing to you. I'm here to please you. Right? Is that in the Bible? That we are called to please God instead of men? The answer is yes. The amazing thing is, through Christ, even our failing, sinful works are purified and please him. Isn't that amazing? And he said, isn't that what you want to hear? Well done. Good faith is all. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So, knowledge of God, in the fullest sense, is obedient knowledge. Knowledge of God produces obedience. God's friends necessarily seek to obey him and, better, and the better that they know him, the more obedient they become. Being near him transforms us. Does that make sense? The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. He does that work in you. Remember Moses? He goes up on the mountain and he's in the presence of God. And he comes back down from the mountain and what's happening with his face? It's glowing so bright that they have to get a veil and cover it because it's hurting their eyes. 
He goes into the presence of God. How about you and me? Do we do that? While you're driving your truck down the road, are you talking to Jesus? Are you in the presence of God? Is that effect? Uh, do other people see it? My prayer is that, that yes. So knowledge of God produces obedience, and obedience to God leads to knowledge. It's a circular relationship. You get to know him better because, well, I want to please you, so tell me how to please you so that I get to know and study the Bible so that I can know how to please you. Knowledge designates the friendship. Obedience designates the activity within the relationship, Right? So in other words, if you love him, what does he say? Keep my commandments if you love me. If you have that relationship, then the fruit of that is you do what he says. We love him. We must keep his commandments. We want to do those things which please him and promote a deeper relationship with him. So just a little excursus on that statement that I may know him. The final, final point, how well do you know him? What is your relationship like? In the Bible it says that there are enemies, all mankind. It takes a special act of God to change that state or that status. We were talking about that earlier through the gospel. Are you an enemy of God? If you're not trusting in Christ, you're an enemy of God. Okay? Secondly, uh, do you have a casual acquaintance with God? In other words, your Christianity is right now. Sunday morning from 10 to 11. Or is that your relationship with God? It's, it's casual. Jesus says, you've left your first love. He says in Revelation, you are lukewarm. Does Jesus like lukewarm? What does he say about the lukewarm Christian? Spits you out. That's the, that's the nice way of saying it. Or do you, are you hot? Uh, uh, do you have that intimate personal relationship? One of the evidences is, is I hunger and thirst. I'm hungry. I want more. Jesus, I want more of you. Okay? I lack. Isn't that a good thing to say? I need you. Is that a godly thing to say? I need Jesus. Yeah. I need you more. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, the promises, and he will be filled. Do you seek him with your whole heart? Do you pursue him like a young man pursues a wife? more important to you than anything else in the universe? If not, ask God to give you that heart. So again, where are you? Do you know him? And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means we obtain the resurrection from the dead. Amen? Amen. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you in your great love, while we're yet sinners, you sent your only begotten Son 
whom you love from all eternity to suffer and to die in our place. We thank you also as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is designed to point us to that love, that sacrifice, that care. Help us, Lord, to not only embrace the gospel, but embrace the gospel as pointed to through the sacraments. We do pray that you would leave, enable us to leave here changed in a good way for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. we do give to you these tithes and offerings, the works of our hands. Again, we acknowledge that everything belongs to you. We give back to you a portion. And we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of the rest, not only the financial resources that you've entrusted to our care, but our, our very lives. Each moment that we have on this earth is an opportunity to serve you. And so we pray that we would be found to be faithful stewards of the manifold grace of God that you've given to us. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would bless the uh, management of that which we have given for the furthering of your kingdom, for the gospel to go forth, that your people would be built up and edified. We pray also, O Lord, that you would enable us to use what is left in our charge uh, to be able to be done in a good and manner, well manner that is pleasing to you. We also come to you and ask for the many needs that we ourselves each have brought with us into this place. Some of them are here in the bulletin uh, listed, and some of them are just on our hearts. We do pray, O Lord, that you would provide for us those daily needs, those daily bread, uh, food, and all that we need in order to glorify you. Lord, we do pray for the restoration in relationships that are broken. Uh, We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to be peacemakers. We ask, O Lord, that you would bring peace. We do also uh, lift up to you the warfare that we are facing as we are warring against the world, the flesh and the devil. And the devil uh, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Enable us to resist steadfastly in the faith, putting on the whole armor of God. Help us to be aware of his devices so that we would not be used or, or abused by him. We pray that you deliver us, O Lord, from evil. We come to you and thank you, Lord, for answered prayer concerning the sale of the parsonage. Uh, we pray that you grant wisdom to the uh, consistory concerning the, the, uh, what to do with these uh, resources. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for David Wojtek, uh 
uh, sustaining his licensure and his ordination exam this Thursday, and that uh, the next step is for his wedding and um, ordination service. And so we ask for your blessing upon them. We thank you for Caden and for Emma and their upcoming wedding in August. We pray your blessing as they um, uh, prepare for that. Uh, we do lift up to you Isaac and Ellie as they lost their little baby daughter, Evangeline, that she's now with you. We pray that you continue to strengthen them as they grieve the loss of this little one. We pray, O oh Lord, for strengthening their faith. We do lay before you the many other needs and requests. We pray for those who are not able to be here. We think of Skip and Darlene, and we pray for your strengthening of them and healing of Skip's uh, from surgery and all. We ask, O oh Lord, for your blessing in order to be a blessing. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. So, preparing for the Lord's Supper. Um, hear now the words of the institution of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, let's stop and think about that. Why was he, what was he thanking the Father for? was thanking the Father that he was about to die on the cross for your sins. that blow your mind? It's representing that. He broke it and said, Take heat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, stop and remember, when he did this, he was still alive. He was anticipating the next 48 hours, 24 hours, what he was about to go through. This points to that, doesn't it? Now we're looking back. But when it was instituted, he was looking forward. And he was looking at you. And he said, thank you, Father. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Until he returns, it is to be observed as a continuing remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. But did he stay dead? Did he rise from the dead? Does this celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is this a time of celebration of victory over death as well? Sometimes we focus on the death, but we have to remember that he was vindicated. His death was vindicated by his resurrection. If we're saying he's coming again, why? Because he ascended into heaven. He rules from heaven and he will return. We look forward to that, don't we? We anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. 
The physical elements of bread and wine, representing the broken body and shed blood of our Savior, are received by true believers as signs and seals of all the benefits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Did you hear that? All the benefits are pointed to by these things. We receive it. We take the bread. We eat it. We take the wine. We drink it. We are symbolizing that we're trusting in Christ and receiving from him everything that he accomplished for us. They point and seal those benefits. They signify and seal the remission of sins, nourishment and growth in Christ, and are a bond and pledge of the communion of believers with him and with each other as members of, the spirit, of his spiritual body, the church. The signs, as signs and seals of the covenant of grace, they not only declare that God is faithful and true to fulfill the promise of his covenant, but they also summons us to the duties as the children of God and call us to renew our consecration in our thankfulness for his salvation. So this is not only, we, do, we are doing something here. He says, take, eat, do, examine. So here we are doing things. This is, again, a commitment that I want to live for Jesus. Jesus died for me. I want to live for him. So, and we talked about this before, the idea of having an examination of ourselves. Uh, The catechism does a really good job, doesn't it? What's the first part of the catechism? How great, or I could say how heinous, how evil, how bad are my sins and misery. Do we need to argue for the greatness of our sins? Before God. Oh, that, wasn't, that was just a mistake. Does God like that kind of response? No, that is an offense. I, my favorite is, it's like craw- crawling up on the lap of your heavenly father and slapping him in the face. That's sin. It's a personal offense. Have you ever confessed that to him? Father, I have sinned. I have offended you. I have slapped you in the face. How great my sin and misery is. The second, how I am redeemed from all my sin and misery. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you rest in him like we said about the chair? Is he your savior? And thirdly, how do you say thank you? Are you determined to say thank you all the days of your life? To live for Jesus. That's the preparation for the Lord's Supper. If you're not there, don't take. And pray for God to grant you that work. It is my solemn duty to warn the uninstructed, the profane and scandalous, and those who secretly and unrepentantly live in any sin, not to approach the holy table where they would partake unworthily, not discerning the Lord's body, and so eat and drink judgment to themselves. Nevertheless, this warning is not designed to keep the humble and contrite from the table of the Lord, as if the supper were for those who might be free from sin. If that was the case, would anybody? It would just sit on the table, right? If we, if 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 you say, I, I heard a man once say, I haven't sinned in twenty five years. You know what I said to him? You just did. Right? I, I that is a joke, but is it serious? Yeah. We are called to argue for the greatness of our sins because in doing so we argue for the greatness of our Savior. That's my point. 
On the contrary, those who are invited to the supper come as guilty and polluted sinners who are without hope of eternal life apart from the grace of God in Christ. We confess our dependence. Can I put in the word total dependence? For pardon and cleansing upon the perfect sacrifice of Christ, we base our hope of eternal life upon his perfect obedience and righteousness, and we humbly resolve to deny ourselves, crucify our old nature, and follow Jesus Christ as those who bear his name. Is that what you want to do today? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? Let's pray. Merciful God in our Heavenly Father, we beseech you that in this supper in which we cherish the blessed memory of the bitter death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, you will so work in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that with true faith we may give ourselves up more and more to your Son in order that our burdened and contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit may be nourished and refreshed with his true body and blood, yes, with Christ himself, who is true God and man, the only heavenly bread. We pray that we may no longer live in our sins, but that Christ may live in us and we in him, so that we may truly be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace. We do not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, never again imputing our sins to us, but providing us with all things necessary for body and soul. As your dear children, adopted by you, having your name placed upon us, heirs of your promises. Grant us your grace, we pray, in order that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all our tribulation with an uplifted head, look and expect for our Lord Jesus Christ to come from heaven or he will recreate our mortal bodies into the likeness of his glorified body and take us to himself in eternity. We pray also, O Lord, that you would bless these elements of bread and wine, so that receiving them in remembrance of the passion and death of your dear Son, we may by faith be made partakers of his crucified body and shed blood with all his benefits to our spiritual nourishment and to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Shall we wait and partake together?
The bread that we break, is it not communion with the body of Christ? Shall we partake together? Our Lord Jesus, after supper, took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Shall we wait to partake together? And the center is grape juice for those who can't or don't want to drink wine. Professing faith about her brother said, I know that he will rise again on the, in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And so he came, and so he instituted this supper. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion with the blood of Christ? Shall we partake together?
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bless you with all of our soul and everything that was within us. We bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You, O Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. You have not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is your mercy toward those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so you have shown compassion to those who fear you. You who did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Therefore, our hearts and lives shall show forth your praises, O Lord, from now on and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Let us go ahead and uh, close our service today by singing from 72A, which is Psalm 72. Uh, Becky, when I said Wednesday, did I say we're going to do the first four and the last one? Was that what we said? Okay, that, well, that's what we'll do. So if you'll turn to uh, 72A, and we'll sing the first four stanzas and then the last one. We've gone a little over time.
God's blessing and benediction upon you. Now the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.